All right, if you would, please open your Bibles back up to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, please. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Our theme for the year, as most of you already know, is taken from 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. It says, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And our focus last month and this month is on that first word, the word grace, to grow in grace. Uh, I'd like to just talk about what does grace mean? Grace means, first of all, in salvation, the word grace means God unmerited, undeserved favor. Many of you know Ephesians 2, 8, for by grace are you saved through faith. That means by God's unmerited, undeserved favor, we are saved. In Titus 2, 11, it says, for the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared unto all men. His, talking about his unmerited favor, his favor we don't earn, we don't deserve, given to us freely. That's salvation's grace. But the grace in the Christian life has a different meaning. I hope you write it down. Grace in the Christian life means God's enablement, divine strength, and God's power. Again, for salvation, God's unmerited, undeserved favor. In the Christian life, now it talks about God's enablement, divine strength, God's power. Look on the screen there, a verse we looked at last week. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. For he has said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, but read on, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. So grace is synonymous with strength. It's made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, would I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. So grace referred to as God's strength, God's power. Grace is mentioned 13 times in the book of 2 Corinthians. Half of the time is mentioned right here in, cha in chapter 8. And uh, write this down, please. Behind every command of God, grace is provided by God. Behind every command of God is grace provided by God. And this morning I talk about grace that God gives us to do the difficult. In fact, the most difficult. How many realize God actually tells us to do things that is very difficult to do? Here's an example. Luke 6.35 it will command here, love your enemies and do good. How many have a hard time doing that? <laughs> Loving those who hate you. Loving those who do you wrong and do you mean and do you dirty. Yet God commands us to love them. How do we do that? Grace. He will he'll give you grace and they want to do just that. Another commandment. Ephesians 4.32. And be ye kind one to another. How many find that hard at times? It's hard to be kind to someone who's mean to you. Yeah, the Bible says do that. How do we do that? By God's grace. He will give you the power to do so. Ephesians 4.32 goes on to say, Forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake has forgiven you. Many Christians have a hard time forgiving someone who has purposely hurt them. Yet we're told to forgive. How do we do that? He will give you the grace, the strength to do so. So behind every command of God is the grace of God. This one I talk about what grace is needed in many Christians' life. In the book of Corinthians, Paul commends these believers for so many areas they've excelled in. In fact, in the first book of 1 Corinthians, he spent most of the time dealing with sin and carnality. But a lot has changed since he wrote the second book. And he talks about things they have excelled in, things they're doing wonderful in. But one area they have failed in, you know what it is? It's in giving. 
It's in giving. Proverbs 3.9 says this. Honor the Lord with thy substance and with the first fruits of all thine increase. Over the period of years, I found many Christians that have grown tremendously. They've grown in their faith, their dependence, their trust, their service for God. And we've seen a life change in their life. But one area they still struggle with is giving to God on a regular basis, giving the tithes and offerings. Well, the Bible says we are to honor the Lord with, with our substance and with the first fruits of all increase. Christian, you are told by God to honor him and do so with the first fruits of increase. Yet so many Christians do not do that. They do good in other areas, but they seem to fail in this area. So this morning I talk about the grace to give. The grace to give. Remember, grace is God's divine enablement, God's power. And many Christians suffer, fail in the area of giving. Notice here in verse 1, at 1 Corinthians chapter, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1. Here it talks about grace to give. In verse 1, moreover, brethren, we do you to wit of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. Talking about God's divine enablement, God's strength. And notice how this grace enabled them. It enabled them to give in the midst of the worst circumstances. Verse 2, how that in great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and deep poverty abounded unto the riches of the liberality. Because of grace, please listen, these people were going through afflictions, not just any afflictions, great tribal afflictions. They were poor, but not just regular poverty, but deep poverty. But in the midst of that, God's grace enabled them, they gave joyfully. It said in the abundance of their joy. They gave generously. It says, goes on to say, unbounded in the riches of the liberality. God's grace affected both their attitude and actions. I don't know about you, that doesn't seem to go together. These people are hurting. They were going through persecution, great tribal affliction. They were suffering poverty, deep poverty. Yet they gave joyfully, and yet they gave liberally or gave generously. How were they able to do that? It's called grace. God's grace enabled them to do that. God's grace enabled them to give in the midst of the worst circumstances, but also enabled them to give beyond their ability. Look in verse 3. For the, to their power I bear record, yea, beyond their power, means their ability, they were willing of themselves. Notice God's grace not only affected how they gave, but it affected their will. They were willing to give, and also grace influenced their desire to give. It says in verse 4, praying us with much entreaty that we should receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. And look at me, please. You look at this, you say, how is this possible? These people were going through afflictions, not just afflictions, great travel affliction. They were poor, but the Bible said they suffered deep poverty. However, they gave joyfully, they gave generously, they were willing to give, and, and it goes on in verse 4, they were pleading to give. It said praying with much entreaty. The word praying means desiring, asking. The word entreaty means begging or pleading. They pleaded with Paul for the privilege of giving and sharing what little they had. That doesn't go together. 
You think about people today that are poor. Are they pleading with others that they might give? People that have very little don't, don't usually don't give joyfully or give willingly or give generously. This seems a contradictory. But what made it possible is a, a five-letter word, G-R-A-C-E. It was bestowed upon these churches, the grace. Not only did they give beyond their ability, letter C, they gave above expectation. They gave above all expectation. In verse 5, it said, For this they did not as we hoped. In other words, not as Paul expected. Paul knew their situation. He knew they were very poor. He knew they were going through affliction. He was not counting on them to have part in this giving. Yet they gave not as he expected. And it goes on to say that Titus was sent to encourage the Corinthians, believers, to experience the same grace. Encourage the Corinthians to experience the same grace. It said, verse 6, Insomuch that we desired Titus, that as he had begun, so he would also finish in you from the same grace also. Here's what happened. In fact, let me give you some background. Hold your finger right here. Go to the book of Acts, please. Let me show you the situation they're in and why uh, one church is giving and a Corinthian church did not give. Acts chapter 11, page 1547, if you're using a church Bible. Acts chapter 11. In verse 27, please. Acts eleven twenty-seven. Verse 27, it said, in, in these days came prophets from Jerusalem unto Antioch, and they, there stood up one of them named Agabus, and signified by the Spirit that there should be a great dearth, a great drought, a great famine throughout all the world, which came to pass in the days of Claudius Caesar. Verse 29, then the disciples, every man according to his ability, determined to send relief unto the brethren which dwelt in Judea. It said, which also they did, and sent it by the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. Here's what happened. Because of a great drought in the land, the apostles realized there were many Christians who were suffering because of this. And so they sought to take up an offering to help those in need. And so the word got out to the church of Corinth. And like they sent Titus there to encourage them to give. And so what, how did the church of Corinth respond? They responded, yes, count us, count us. We'll be happy to have part in it. But when Titus was sent to gather the offering, you know what? They didn't give. They didn't follow through with their promise. And so what Paul was doing, he was taking the churches in Macedonia that were going through great affliction, deep poverty, and to use them to motivate the Corinthian believers to give. The Corinthian believers didn't suffer from the drought. They have plenty of money. They have very well off. Yet when they ought to be the ones who are giving, they did not. The Macedonian Christians, which have every reason not to give, are the ones who did give. And why do they give so generously, so unselfishly? Because of God's grace. God's grace enabled them to give cheerfully, joyfully, and as unto the Lord. And notice, if we please, go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Look again in verse 6. 
because Paul knew the situation in the church of Macedonia. He didn't expect them to give, but they did. In fact, they pleaded with Paul to give. And now he sends Titus to the church of Corinth. It said Titus was sent to encourage the Corinthian believers to experience the same grace. Verse 6 again, insomuch that we desired Titus that as he had begun, so he would also finish you the same grace also. They sent Titus a year ago to take up an offering, which they said they would do, and they chose not to do it. So now a year had passed, and he sends Titus again. Look in chapter 8, verse 10 this time. Paul said, And herein I give my advice, speaking to the Corinthian church, for this is expedient for you, who have begun before not only to do, but also to be forward a year ago. Now therefore perform the doing of it, that as there was a readiness to will, so there may be a performance also out of that which you have. In other words, when they heard the news that churches were suffering because of the drought, the Corinthian church says, count on us, we'll be happy to give. They sent Titus to get the money, and they didn't give. They didn't follow through. So now a whole year has passed, and Paul now encourages them to follow through with their promise. He uses the church in Macedonia. Let me tell you about them. They've been through a great affliction. They've suffered deep poverty, yet they gave joyfully, gave generously. In fact, they pleaded with us to take part in it. And now he uses them. Now he says, now you follow through with the promise you made. You made a year ago, now follow through with it. So what enabled the church of Macedonia to give such a way? Grace. God's divine name went to do what they normally could not do. Grace to give. Number two. Now it talks about grace to abound. Grace to abound. Look in verse 7. Again, speaking to the Corinthian believers, how they ex had excelled in many areas. Verse 7. Therefore, as ye abound in everything, in faith, utterance, and knowledge, in all diligence, and in your love for us. What he's saying here, there's so many areas of Christian life you've excelled in, you've abounded in. And one of them was faith. The word faith means faith in God or faithfulness to God. In utterance, that means their outspokenness for God. They were sharing the gospel with others. In knowledge, that means the knowledge of God and of his truth. Diligence, diligence means readiness and the discharge of every duty. And in love. Affection, goodwill, kindness, and benevolence toward others. I don't know about you. These would be good Christians, wouldn't they? I'd like to have some of these in my church. But one thing they lacked. They've excelled in so many areas, but they lacked in giving. And so they needed grace in one of the most difficult areas. They said that you may abound in this grace also. Look up here, please. As a pastor, I've said before, I've seen many Christians abound in the Christian life. I've seen them grow. They grow in the knowledge of God, their faith in God, and outspokenness for God, and love for others. But yet, some of them still struggle with giving. Now, listen carefully, please. So, Pastor, who are you preaching to? I don't know who gives in this church. That only the treasure does. I don't want to know who gives in the church because I don't want to ever be tempted to show favoritism. If somebody in our church gives a lot, and I know that, it'd be tempting for me. Hi, glad to see you today. Glad you're here. I don't want to be put in that situation. So whether you give or not give, I don't know. 
But chances are some of you have grown and matured in your faith. But one area that you have not succeeded in is in giving. You may give occasionally, maybe in a certain need, but to give regularly on a regular basis, you do not do that. That was these Corinthian believers. So Paul said, what you need, you need to abound in this grace also. The grace that was given to the church of Macedonia, you need to receive that grace too. They needed grace in one of the most difficult areas of the Christian life in giving. Notice this giving was not by a command. He said in verse 8, I speak not by commandment. This giving was like a love offering for those in need. Remember, many were suffering because of the drought. You know, some of our giving is something we do because God says to. He says, honor the Lord with thy substance. I believe they're talking about tithing. But sometimes we give over and above the tithe for like faith promise. We give to missions. You're not commanded to give to missions, but you do it over and above that. And that's talking about not giving by command. But it goes on to say giving should be motivated, first of all, by the example of other believers. He said, verse eight, latter part of verse 8, but by the occasion of the forwardness of others. Who are these others he was using to motivate them to give? The churches in Macedonia. They gave so willingly, graciously, generously, joyfully, and was using them as an example to give, but also motivated by their love for God. By their love for God. It says, latter part of verse 8, and to prove the sincerity of your love. Here's a question for you. How do you know that God loves you? What did he do to demonstrate his love toward us? Romans 5, 8, God commendeth to demonstrate his love toward us, and that while we had sinners, what? Christ died for us. I know he loves me because he died for me. He demonstrated that by giving himself for us. Now, how can we demonstrate our love for God? In the same way he did, by giving. The Bible says we love him, why? Because he first loved us. We give to him, why? Because he first gave to us. And so he said, you want to prove your love for God? Do it by giving, to prove the sincerity of your love. So we're talking about grace to give. Again, let's review. There were churches in Macedonia that God bestowed his grace upon. These churches were going through great affliction. They were in deep poverty, yet they gave joyfully and generously. In fact, they gave willingly. In fact, they begged Paul to have part in this offering. And now he uses them as example. He said, Corinthian believers, the same grace that God bestowed upon the churches, I want to, God to bestow upon you. So here's a question for you. What are the preconditions to receive such grace? Maybe you're here today and you say, Pastor, I've really grown my Christian life, but I don't give regularly. I know I should, but I don't do that. Let me share with you the preconditions that they, of the grace they received. Hope you write them down. Number one, letter A, is they first requested it. They first requested this grace. Go back to verse 1, please. This grace that enabled them to give in such a manner that they gave was first requested. In verse 1, Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit, the grace of God, and notice the word bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. The word bestowed means to grant, to give to one by asking. In other words, they probably heard about the drought they heard about how people were hurting, and they wanted to have part in it. But they were deeply poor and going through afflictions, 
And they, and they said, Lord, we want to have that. We need your help. And God bestowed grace on them to do exactly what they wanted to do. They requested it. They requested it due to the difficult circumstances, and God gave it to them. The ne next precondition, they had a desire to do God's will. They had a desire to do God's will. Look in verse 5, please. Latter part of verse 5. It says, but first gave their own selves to the Lord and to us by the what? The will of God. They desired to do God's will. They needed God's help to do it. But I want you to notice a phrase here, a key phrase enabled them to do that. that. Verse 5 again. It said, but first gave their own selves to the Lord. Look up here, please. What does it mean they gave themselves to the Lord? It's not talking about salvation. They were already saved. Talking about now that they're saved, they gave their life to the Lord. There is a common phrase today. Many preachers use it, which is not biblical. They say, if you want to get saved, you need to give your life to Christ. Give your heart to Christ. My friend, salvation is not a bargain. It's not a trade. You don't give God something to get saved. Salvation is a gift. The Bible says, but to as many as received him, to them gave you the power to become the sons of God. So that them giving themselves to God is not salvation. They're already saved. It's the next the best thing you should do once you are saved. They gave themselves to the Lord. When I first became a pastor, I wanted to teach on giving, teach on tithing, giving our money to the Lord. I haven't done that. I was probably in my fourth year as a pastor, never preached on it. I was kind of cautious because I realized this is a sensitive subject. So I met a pastor, I've been in the ministry for many, many years, a seasoned pastor. I asked him, I said, brother, what do you do to get your people to give? And he said, let me tell you a secret. The secret is they first must give themselves, then they'll give the money. If they have not given their lives to the Lord, they'll fight you, they'll fuss with you, they'll do it hesitantly, they'll give grudgingly and necessity, but they will not give cheerfully. When a person gives himself, everything else falls in place. These people gave so much, why? Because they first gave themselves. Christian, have you done that before? You've received Christ as Savior, but have you ever given yourself to him? What, what is the verse that says that, Pastor? Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy acceptable unto him, which is your reasonable what? Didn't say salvation. Service. So the first act of service, once you are saved is turn around to God, thank you for saving me. I want to live my life for you. I want to dedicate my life and live for you. Have you done that? If you're here today and you're saved and you have a tough time giving, you mean to ask yourself that. Have you ever first given yourself? When you give yourself, you say, everything I have, my time, my talent, it's all yours. Then giving of your finances falls right in place. But the person that pastor told me, the person has not given himself, he'll fight you. He'll do it grudgingly and necessity. He'll do it with reluctance because he has not given himself. These people gave cheerfully, joyfully, willingly. Why? Because they first gave themselves. Christian, have you done that? The third precondition. They first requested the grace. They desired to do God's will by giving themselves to the Lord. And let us see, they had experienced God's saving grace. 
they had experienced God's saving grace. Look in verse 9, please. For 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9. It says, For you know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. Notice it talks about grace. This is not talking about the grace of God's strength and enablement. This is talking about God's saving grace. It says, for you know the grace of God. They had already come to know God's saving grace. They were saved. So before I can experience his divine enablement, I need to experience his saving grace. And they had done it. You've come to know. The word you have, for you know the grace of God means you've come to know. They've already experienced his saving grace. And now they were to be motivated by his example. Paul was trying to motivate them to give because what Christ gave for them. Look at that verse again. Let me read a statement I wrote down from a commentary I read. Look again in verse 9. He said, for you know the grace, talking about God's saving grace, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. Listen carefully. This is from the Bible Knowledge Commentary. It says this. Few statements surpass 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9 as a concise summary of the gospel. From the splendor of heaven, Christ came to the squalor of the earth. The incarnation was an incomprehensible renunciation of spiritual and material glory. The one who was rich, who had everything, became poor, making himself nothing. He assumed mankind's debt of sin and paid for it with his own life. The Corinthians had directly benefited from his generosity. He became what they were, poor, so that they could become what he was and is, rich. Therefore, was a material offering from them too much to ask? The answer is no. Now, what did it mean? Look at that verse again. What did it mean that though he was rich? When was Jesus Christ rich? It's talking about his pre-incarnation. Before he took on human flesh to become a man, he enjoyed the splendors, the glories of heaven. In heaven, he had all the adoration and worship of angels. There's an old hymn you haven't heard very often. You don't hear much more. It's called Out of the Ivory Palaces into a World of Woe. My friend, that talking about he was rich. He had everything heaven offered him. And he gave up all of that and became poor. When did he become poor? When he became a man. You say, how was Jesus Christ poor? Think about it. Where was he born at? Was he born in a palace among kings? He was born in a stable among smelly animals. <laughs> his uh, sta- his uh, crib was a feeding trough. He was born in a stable. His parents, Joseph and Mary, were very poor. We know that by the offering they offered up for the firstborn son. Levitical law said offer up a uh, lamb sacrifice. But someone who could not afford lamb offer up two turtle doves. What kind of offering did they offer up? Two turtle doves. They were poor. Jesus Christ himself said during his earthly ministry, birds have their nest, foxes have their holes, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. The only thing he had to his name when he was crucified was the coat, the cloak, which the Roman soldiers gambled over. My friend, though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor. Why? That you... Through his poverty that you might be what? Rich. Now look at it very carefully, please. Salvation does not come because of any sacrifice that you make. 
does not come because of something you're willing to give up. My friend, salvation because of the sacrifice he made and what he was willing to give up for us. What did he give up for us that we might be saved? Look on the screen, please. Galatians 1.4. It said, who gave himself for us, our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil world. In other words, he gave himself for us. The word deliver means to rescue. When he died on the cross, his death came to rescue us from sin's penalty, but also from sin's power, that he might save us from this very present evil world, the power of sin in the world we live in. But also he gave himself to deliver us. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 6, he gave himself to ransom us. We are sinners. We owe a debt to God. And he came to pay the ransom of that debt by his own life. Titus 2.14, who gave himself that he might redeem us from all iniquity. So he came to rescue us. He came to re ransom us. He came to redeem us. What I'm trying to say, my friend, salvation comes by what he gave up, not by what we give up. Though he was rich, yet for whose sake? Your sake. He became poor. That you, through his poverty, what he gave up in sacrifice, you might be rich. Say, Pastor, I'm not rich. If you are a believer, yes, you are. <laughs> You're rich not only in spiritual blessings, but you have a home in heaven. Christ said, I go to my father. He said, I go to prepare a place for you because in my father's house are many what? Mansions. You have a mansion in heaven prepared for you. And through him, you are rich. So Christian, do you need grace to do, which is very difficult. Let's go back to the beginning and we'll close with this. We're commanded by God to love our enemies. I don't know about you, I need grace to do that. We're commanded by God to be kind to others. Sometimes I need God's grace to do that. We're commanded by God to forgive others. Sometimes we need God's grace to do that. And yet we're told to God to give. And we need God's grace to do that. The Macedonian believers gave such a wonderful way because of God's grace. And he wanted to encourage the Corinthian believers to do the same. So if you're here today and you are saved and you've seen growth in your Christian life, but you have not come to the place where you give on a regular basis to God, what is the key? G-R-A-C-E. Ask for grace and he'll bestow it upon you as he did the Macedonians. Close your Bibles, please. Look up here. Remember one, the, the third precondition that the Corinthian believers did to receive God's enablement, God's power and strength is they first received or experienced God's saving grace. Let me ask you a question. If you were to die today, would you go to heaven? Are you certain you have a home? Do you have eternal life? Most of you do. Maybe someone would say, Pastor, I don't know. I think I will. Maybe I will. But you know for certain. You know, salvation comes not by anything that we do for God, but rather by what Christ has done for us. Let me share an illustration I used the other day at a funeral service. I like to use it for you, illustration, to help me understand clearly what Christ has done for me. I like to use my wallet here, and an illustration helps you understand what Christ did for you. Look over here, please. Let my left hand represent everyone here today, and let my wallet represent sin. According to the Bible, how many of us are sinners? All of us. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So here we are 
here's our sin. We all have sin on us. The Bible says that God loves us, but he hates our sin. And the reason God hates sin is because your sin keeps you out of heaven. To go to heaven, you have to be without sin. Not one sin will ever enter the presence of God. The problem is we're not without sin. We all have sin on us. And because we sin, the Bible says our sin, as hand represents Jesus Christ, our sin separates us from God. So here we are. Here's our sin. And the Bible says there's a penalty for our sin. The wages of sin is death. But many people today think, well, pastor, I know I'm a sinner, but I, I, I've done good things. They think good works, they pile up all kind of good works maybe to get them to heaven. If nothing wrong with good works, but they will not pay for your sin, will not take away that which separates you from God. So here we are, we're all sinners, we're all a penalty, and we cannot save ourselves. But God says this. He said, I love you. Maybe your name is Bill, Bill Fold, okay? He said, Bill, I love you, but Bill, I hate your sin. And Bill, if you pay for that, you have to die and go to hell to do it. And Bill, you cannot save yourself. But God said, I love you. I'll provide a substitute. And for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So Jesus Christ came to this earth. He was the perfect son of God. And he died on the cross. When he died there, he took that which separates us from him off of us upon himself. Though he knew no sin... He became sin for us. And God the Father punished him for what you've done wrong. He died in your place. He was buried. He rose again. And now he offers you eternal life at his expense through what he did for you. And if you believe when he died, he died for you and trust him as your Savior, you would not perish, but you would have everlasting life. Have you ever done that before? If you have, heaven's your home. If you have, Christian, have you ever come back to God and say, thanked him for saving you and said, Lord, I want to give my life to live for you? Many of you have. Maybe some of you have not. That's one of the first things you should do once you are saved is now give your life to him in active service. And when you do that and you desire, I want to give my finances, but I struggle with that, Pastor, ask for his grace. And he'll bestow it upon you like he did the churches in Macedonia. Let's bow together, please. As the heads are bowed and eyes are closed, we conclude our service. This morning I've been speaking to those of you that know Christ and talking about grace that God gives to help us to do the most difficult things in life that we struggle with. God's grace will be sufficient for that, and he'll give it to you. Maybe you're one of the ones here today that you've seen so much growth in your Christian life in faith and utterance and knowledge and love, but you have not come to the place where you give and give to God and honor him with your finances. My friend, this, why not ask for his grace to do that? He will give you the grace as enablement to do what is difficult for you to do, even that of giving. But if you're here today and you've never received his gift of eternal life, you've never received Christ to be your savior, my friend, why not do that today? Do that right where you're at. You can talk the true living God, and you can trust in Christ to be your Savior. You can trust him to forgive you and give you a home in heaven. And the Bible says the moment you do that, he will forgive you and give you eternal life. If you have never done that before, why not do it right now? Right where you sit in the quietness of your mind, you can talk the true living God 
and you can trust in Christ to be your Savior. And if you do that, heaven becomes your home. Say, Pastor, I'd like to do that. I'm not certain I have a home in heaven, but I'd like to have the gift of eternal life. How do I get that? The Bible said, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And you can call upon him right now by the means of a simple prayer. If you do not pray this prayer with me, by, and by doing so, you'll be trusting Christ and heaven become your home. Say something like this as you talk to God. Say, dear God of heaven, I acknowledge that I'm a sinner. And because I've sinned, I've earned, I deserve your punishment. But God, I believe that Jesus was punished in my place. I believe the judgment that I deserve, he took upon himself. And I believe that when Jesus died, he died for me. I believe he died, was buried, and he rose again. And right here today, realizing I cannot save myself, I'm trusting Christ to save me and to give me eternal life. I'm trusting my Savior right here this morning. As heads are bowed and eyes are closed, my friend, did you pray that prayer? Did you trust Christ to be your Savior? If you did, according to the Bible, heaven is now your home. You have eternal life. And if you did that, I'd like to know that. I want to pray for those who made that decision this morning. And one moment, I ask for those who did that for the first time, indicate that by simply raising their hand. Raising your hand does not save you. I like to pray for you. My prayer for you does not save you. It's Christ that saves you when you trusted him. But if you did that today, as heads are bowed and eyes are closed, so no one to be put on the spot, would you simply raise your hand so I can include you in my closing prayer? Pastor, here's my hand. I trusted Christ as my Savior. Would you pray for me? I made that decision to receive Christ as my Savior today. Here's my hand. Would you pray for me this morning? And went all? And went all today. Father, I hope that means each one here has already made that decision, that heaven's your home, and Lord, they might seek your grace in whatever area they struggle with in their life, whether it be loving their enemies, being kind, forgiving, even that area of giving, that we may do so by your grace. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.